now we are business apes. Er, I'm the unshaven Saturday business ape. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday ape is relaxed ape. You're, you're really into the primate thing lately. I like it. <laughs> We are back for another lean and mean episode of the Cold Star Project. Today we have as our guest my ex-co-founder, yes, really great, Jeremy Pope from the Closing Engine. Jeremy, tell our fine listeners and viewers what the Closing Engine is. What was your vision when you started this thing? Ooh. Uh, the Closing Engine is, thank you for having me, by the way. I'm excited to do this. I always love hearing what questions you come up with for interviews. You're amazing at that. Um, the Closing Engine is a third-party sales-as-a-service company. Uh, we provide sales departments to other companies with high-ticket services or products. And uh, the vision for that is to become the premier closing as a service company in the world. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of people doing this right now and I'm really excited and um, I, I think it's very possible to do this. Awesome. Uh, I know because I worked with you for a year and a half mm -hmm. uh, what the tech stack is and the people behind Closing Engine is. How many people have we got working there now? Right now, we are not the biggest in the world. There are eight of us right now, so it's it's awesome. very small at the moment. <clears throat> but we've yeah seen a lot of growth. Yeah, from so, just you and me, right? And, and so days. let's get into the. So you had a vision, mm -hmm. and then you came and you approached me. Uh, somehow you picked me out of the uh, <laughs> the people in the sea of marketing that you saw before well, you. You know, it wasn't exactly the marketing stuff. Your marketing stuff is awesome, but it was more your your understanding of processes and the back end of the business combined with the marketing. That was really what tipped me off. Oh, I should pay attention to this guy. Mm. And then we talked for a long time. And I, I think that people who are considering uh, finding a co-founder mm -hmm. need to do this. I, if you need more parlay with people, I guess. Talk to us a little bit about that. We hear a lot of stories from people who have bad partnership experiences. And you and I had a pretty good one overall. Everybody's got their little squabbles. And, and I mean, it's a business marriage after all, I guess you could say. Um, but there's, we hear a lot of stories about people who jump in to a business partnership because you have similarities of ideas but they don't necessarily have, I don't know, uh, a similarity of the business ethics even. I mean, it's really basic levels of stuff. And knowing that we could trust each other 100% mm -hmm. uh, on the three different levels of trust that I talk about, the, the intentions, I mean, don't even be around someone where you don't trust their intentions <laughs> toward you, right. um, their skills and abilities, and then their judgment and discretion. Being able to trust each other on those three levels, um, that makes a huge difference. And it, it means that you can go away and know that things aren't going to fall apart without you. Mm -hmm. um, th those are the three things that I would really say about finding a co-founder. And I, I mean, we can't say that we got it right. We had a lot of fun <laughs> together um, and we did some cool stuff together, but we certainly didn't build a a hundred million dollar a year business together, but we, we had a good run and it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of posts, uh, in groups and, and forums and that of where can I find a, a founder? Oh, God. And, and it kind of oh. looks like they're sidling up to somebody at the singles bar and are ready to take the first person they encounter home. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Very dangerous. That's the <laughs> cautionary tale. So you and I had several conversations before deciding to work together about everything under yeah. the sun. Our, our, uh, our spiritual points of view are pretty well aligned. Uh, our, you know, our, yeah. even, even things on that level. And yeah. we both know now um, that we can trust the other not to run away with the money to yeah. uh, Tropical Island. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. that, that was vital. I yeah. mean, that's the basic level of, I mean, do I trust this person? Do I trust their, their history? Do I trust their story? Do I trust their experience so that mm -hmm. they're not going to run away here? And that was, right. that was a hugely relaxing thing. 
to have. But I, I wanted to say, these people who are looking for a co-founder, stop. Mm. Don't look for a co-founder. Look to solve a particular problem. Look to solve a particular series of problems. Um, and you might not need a co-founder. A co-founder is the most expensive thing that you will ever buy, <laughs> in business at least. And so, yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful thing, but there's, um, you need to go into this, like, this is the biggest purchase your business will ever, mm. ever make. Co-founders or investors, somebody with control over your business mm. with you, that's a big deal. And um, you need to approach it soberly and with, with deliberation, not with, I need somebody to take responsibility away from me. Uh, that was probably the biggest mistake mm. that I made um, in my thinking about I need a co-founder was I need somebody to pass the buck to. That's not the way it works. Um, it, it's like it doubles the responsibility. <laughs> you had your things you were totally responsible for and I had things I was totally responsible for. And uh, it, it, didn't, uh, it didn't remove that sense of responsibility. It just... It just um, it kind of doubled it. <laughs> so that was a surprise to me and, and very part of my maturing process in business, I guess you could say. Yeah. As we grew, I, mean, I think back to, do you remember PDIs? Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a worthy effort, wasn't it? Yeah. We, we decided that we were going to have performance development or personal development interviews. Yeah. Uh, based on a little booklet that I had bought from somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we ran these literally every week and they would end up being these 20 minute conversations with everybody who was working with us and I was doing them and it filled up at least half my time. And what we found was most people kind of liked it, but some were infuriated by it. It just right, needed right. this prying into their world when they had other stuff that they would rather be doing. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a big eye opener for us mm -hmm. in teaching us about our own company culture, mm -hmm. um, and a couple of those people that were not into it. There was we set that up in a weird way. We we had those kind of tied to the compensation structure, like mm -hmm. what was what was going like the personal development type stuff was tied to the compensation structure, and it was a bit much. Um, it was, we probably overstepped by 20%, 25% on that stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we, we realized that very quickly as, as we went into it. But we also realized that there were some people that we had on board that were not a culture fit for what we wanted. Mm -hmm. um, we now vet really hard for uh, people who want to be a lone wolf. We weed those people yeah. out immediately we want people who want to be part of a team and who who love what we're doing as a team and that has made a tremendous difference um we now have way lower turnover mm -hmm. um i mean we we're designed to have low turnover in our compensation plans and everything but um culture fit made a big difference in low turnover as well Right. I, I hadn't even higher. thought about culture before this interview, but let's dig into it because oh, our huge. culture is written down and has been for a long time. Yeah. We've had it on the website since a couple of weeks after we wrote it. Yeah. And that was not immediately as the business started, but uh, after, I don't know, what, four months or something, I think we had it. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. I, I don't even remember what prompted it exactly, mm -hmm. but I, I remember... I read some things that said we should have it and I realized, oh, this would be a very useful tool. And it has been. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, if, if you want to see our company culture doc, you can go to theclosingengine.com and it might be slash company dash culture or something like that. It's, it's linked from the main menu. Mm -hmm. But it's about we give, how we grow together. Um, we praise people. We criticize in private. I mean, it's, it's kind of the overarching constitution i guess or the bill of mm -hmm. rights for employees and i am um, <laughs> i'm I laughing because i remember you being held your feet held to the fire a couple times exactly <laughs> yes yeah. i told people i and i still tell people when i'm when i'm doing recruiting interviews that 
look, you are allowed to hold my feet to the fire, just like Jason said. If I am not matching up to this document, if I am creating a culture that doesn't match that, well, I've thought about that a lot more than I'm thinking in the moment. So I'm right when I wrote that document. I'm not right right now if I have a mismatch. So um, I want to live up to that document just the same way I want everyone else in the company to live up to that document there. And it's very polarizing. Um, we find that a fair number of salespeople who get in touch with me to say, oh, I, I saw your videos. I want to come work with you. Um, I say, okay, cool. Go read that document and get back with me if you're still interested. And 30 minutes later, they say, I think I'm good. Thanks. Like, like auto salespeople, they mm -hmm. tend to run away from that kind of document because they, they want more of a, we're, we're like, I guess, like an anti-Grant Cardone culture internally. And so auto salespeople like that. They like the hard charging, um, high pressure environment that motivates them. We do not have that here. And so we get people who are more into the consultative selling, I guess you could say, and who are coachable and they're more interested in personal development. And um, it, just, it just scares away the, I'm the greatest kind of right. people pretty fast. And before anybody who's watching or listening to this thinks that, uh, oh, well, Jeremy's company is soft and fluffy, uh, uh, <laughs> the sales teams are selling <laughs> things starting at $6,000 and up yeah, and often in five figures. And right. some of them close half the time. So yeah, when, when we can put together a good funnel, um, we, we can close you know, 20 to 60%. I mean, it really, that's the range we're usually going for there. And um, it all depends on the funnel, of course, but we've got a great sales team in place and a great um, sales director, Jeremy Demercher. He's amazing. And I've just been so pleased with them. They are, they're such amazing people. And it's, it, yeah, I'm just so impressed with the people that I've been blessed with. Let me dig into culture for a second. One more question about it and then we'll move on to another topic. What do you say to the, like the author of the, the book rework um, would say, oh, culture is something that we don't need to look at and it just develops organically and you're wasting your time if you actually write it down and it doesn't exist anyway that way. It's kind of a fabrication. Mm. Um, yeah, it's absolutely a fabrication. And it's absolutely a waste of time if you don't revisit it regularly. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've concerned myself with that a few different times. I, I think it's Jason Fried or Jason Fried that, that wrote Rework. Um, I, I have the book on my Kindle. It's ready to read. I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking <laughs> like forward it. to it. I, I agree with that about halfway, I would mm -hmm. say. Um, Culture is not an easy thing to do. And I would say most of it, probably where he's coming from on that is that culture is top down. And if it doesn't matter what I write down, if I'm not living up to that, mm -hmm. none of my people expect to need to live up to it. And so it's about the doing, it's not about the writing. But the writing can certainly help with the doing and it can certainly help attract people who will help you with the doing. Right. Um, I like the idea of every new hire should be at a higher level than the last hire. Like they should be higher than the average mm -hmm. vibe of the company, every new hire. And so you continually improve and improve and improve. And so if you're going to attract that kind of person, well, you having some tools to attract that kind of person is really nice. Mm -hmm. and that's, that's a big part of what that culture doc is for us is attracting the right salespeople, attracting the right ops people, attracting the right clients. It just lets people know what we strive to be. Not what we right. always are, but what we strive to be. Right. So 60% yeah, uh, in agreement with that. Okay. Yeah. But you should have it written down <laughs> after I, a while. I, anyway. do. I found great benefit from writing it down. Yeah. I think the clarity of a few core values is really yeah. important. Like, look, we yeah. stand for these. Plus, what uh, other people have not gotten into is that sort of constitution, bill of rights type thing sure. that you were talking about. Like, look, here yeah. is here is a, not not even a process, but some principles, at least, that we're going to stand yeah. for. And uh, yeah, sometimes we're going to work and do something to the left or the right of these, but let's have this discussion about pulling us back to the center. Right. right. This, this would be our North Star or our magnet. 
That's, that's a great way to put it. The more you write things down, the more hidebound you can get. Mm. And we found that once or twice when we were working together, it's like, oh, this is not a flexible process. There are only four of us right now. There should be no inflexibility at this stage of the business. <laughs> so we had to kind of strip things out and go back to zero a few times. And that was good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it before it was a half million dollar mistake. But it, mm-hmm. was, it was definitely something that we had to learn. One, one fellow that I really like in this area that comes to mind with, with culture and all the stuff surrounding it is Cameron Harold, mm-hmm. the, um, the COO Alliance and the Second in Command podcast. I, it's one of my three favorite podcasts. And he talks with all these COOs of companies and stuff like that. And, and it blows my mind the way that these people think differently. And I can't think that way right now. I mean, I don't have the mental skill set to do that kind of thinking. And so it's humbling and it's inspiring and it's just pretty tremendous. But he talks about, well, we, we love his meeting suck book. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those have helped me scale down on overloading my people with meetings. Mm. Um, it not completely fix the problem, but to scale down on it. I did some damage at first um, over meeting with my people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. now. And so, <laughs> and so I, had, I had some backlash about that um, that we're still kind of recovering from, like finding the right balance. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I met with my people so much, they were frustrated with me that they weren't getting enough done. They felt like they were wasting, they were wasting time. They were right about it. I hire good people who know what they're talking about. And so um, we had to back off from that. But then it was hard to, weirdly, it was hard to get a meeting with my own people for, for a little while. Hmm. Now I think we found about the right balance there. But it was something that we had to put some work into, into, into fixing, because I was just controlling and micromanaging and yeah. stuff like that. And so well, the good um, news is that has receded into the past in yeah. my perception. So much so that when you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that from like April of 2017. You know? It's now right. July 2018. Uh-huh. That's, that's in the past. Oh, I appreciate so that. Good. <laughs> um, his, uh, and just recognizing that I think differently from my people and the manager schedule, maker schedule that we talk about sometimes together, that cool mm-hmm. article by Graham. Is it somebody, Graham? Yeah, Paul Graham, I think. Paul Graham, yeah. Amazing article. Share that once a week at least with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised. It's pretty awesome. But letting my makers be makers instead of instead of expecting them to do context switching on the hour every hour. That's just not effective for some job roles. And um, I was hurting my people's effectiveness with that. And so just respecting that kind of idea was a big deal. Um, in fact, I might write that into the company culture. Um, we, we have it written in a little bit in the, we are a non-emergency culture. We are not mm-hmm. running an ambulance service kind of stuff, but it, it might do me well to articulate that a bit more. But Cameron Harold's his, um, the meeting suck, the double, double book, and then the vivid vision. That's mm-hmm. one that I'm just about to get. That's just popped up on my radar again. And I realized, Oh, I need to buy that. Okay. I bought because of you, Tyler Paris's chief of staff book. And I, I looked over there a minute ago because that's where it mm-hmm. is. <laughs> to see you, wait, who's the author of that again? Um, so I'm going to read that and find my person to apply that stuff. Mm-hmm. And also I bought, because it has the same title and came up at the same time on Amazon, a two-part mm-hmm. volume also called Chief of Staff about uh, World War I era generals. And in that, in that kind of range, Ooh, yeah. not the not the strategic generals of, okay, you know, we're going to make the Schlieffen plan or something, but the more the bean counter types or the, you know, who were like, how are we really going to do this? They're running the logistics. Yeah. The back yeah, end. At a logistics level. That's right. That sounds really but interesting. I'm looking forward, you know, in 2020 when I finally get a chance to come up for air and read those things. <laughs> <laughs> get it done, Jason. <laughs> well, I've got books in between right now. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Good point. <laughs> when, I, I want to dig into ask one question about vision for a minute because I remember early on you you have a lot of energy and want to do 50 million things and you tend to if sure. I was imagining you as a star traveling in space you would blast into the infinite unknown right and <laughs> Jeremy is a receding point and hopefully you wouldn't fall over the event horizon and become invisible right but 
sometimes I had to run to catch up or we would discover like four months had gone by and you would change the company vision a mm. bit and not communicated it to me and I had been dumb yeah. enough not to ask and then finally we would get into this friction situation where I'd be like well I don't know what you want tell me what you want and then yeah. you do this big data dump and go I'm sorry I I forgot right or I didn't know you yep. needed the update yep. right and 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 you we got better at that rhythm for a while yeah. you run ahead and, and noticing what the red flags were for when we mm -hmm. weren't quite in sync on that stuff it, it took us a little while to learn but what do, what are we trying to notice here when something is not matched up properly? What are the mm -hmm. signs of that? What are the how do I feel when this is happening? And just noticing those feelings, noticing those those signs, um, that can be a little tough. So it it took some work to get in sync there, CEO and COO style. Do we have any indicators that come out that we can share? Oh, um, okay. When you're feeling disconnected. Uh, from your coworkers or from your, I'm kind of thinking CEO, COO stuff right now because I've been listening to a lot of Cameron Harold lately and that's what you and I were, were doing. But what should your relationship look like? Uh, the, whatever relationship this is. Um, what should it feel like? What should it sound like? What's the day-to-day -day flow of that relationship? Uh, Cameron Harold talks a lot about the difference between the, like every CEO COO relationship is significantly different. Like the COO role is very hard to quantify because it changes so much company to company. Hmm. And so there are some folks that are what they call the two in a box where they're pretty much doing the, all the brainstorming together. And then it transmits down below that hmm. or the, vision and operations. So vision yeah. filters down to operations and then from everyone else down there and the CEO is not really in touch with the rest of the company. The COO is the one that, mm. that actually deals with all the stuff. <laughs> not our relationship. <laughs> no, not so. No, we were, we're, we're, we're more of what they call yeah. the two in a box, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, mm. So it's, it's really interesting. You have to figure out what it ought to look like. And I find that writing things down and mind mapping things is very useful for that. Um, and just talk about it. Um, so many of these CEOs and COOs, they talk once a week. Right. And I'm stunned by how can they get stuff done um, only talking once a week. Because some of these folks are still kind of in startup mode. They're in big mm -hmm. startup mode. I mean, they're, they're doing $40 million a year as a 18 person startup or as a 23 person startup or whatever, but it's still kind of startup mode or moving barely out of startup mode. And I'm just, I'm just amazed at how effective they are with being I able to- I think I know why. <laughs> it's because yep. they're not inundating each other with too many ideas. Agreed. It gives them the make Agreed. time to go away and go, okay, I got these three things to work on. As yeah. long as the pacing of what they get done can match by the yeah. time they orbit back like comets to each other, something yeah. is done and we can move on to the next idea. Yeah. I think we found um, one of the tools that was really useful to us. And this was kind of as Jason was starting to, um, to explore other business ideas and things like that. He, he was getting ready to move out, but um, quarterly planning, that was huge. Um, our, our director of ops, I guess you could say, uh, Lynn, she does what's called a deliberate direction document. And she mm -hmm. makes me literally sign it. Like, this is what we're going to do this quarter. These are our priorities. I commit to this. And it's been good for harnessing that, um, that energy that shows up on Colby index as quick, quick start mm -hmm. kind of energy or a very high D energy on the DISC personality profile. Um, just making sure that I'm not changing directions on my people, not giving them, she calls it visionary whiplash. Mm -hmm. uh, making sure that we're actually all on the same page. Right. Left, no right. Uh. Yeah, it, it just takes <laughs> yeah. a bit of structure. And maybe this, generally speaking, the person doing the, creating the whiplash for other people is not the person to build that structure. Uh, because that's not their specialty. Mm -hmm. So 
the other people ought to build that structure around them and get commitment from the C, right. often it's the CEO. I want founders to hear this because hmm. they're going to need to hear it, especially if you're the type of person who has a million different ideas and wants to do them all. And, and maybe yeah. even it doesn't have yet that developed the self-awareness to recognize what they're doing and how it that's affects That's a really others. common thing. Yes. That's, that's it's huge. self-awareness thing. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you get frustrated. Well, why aren't these people tagging along with me? Why aren't they moving at the pace that I want them to? Why don't they get it? Why yeah. are they annoyed every time uh, I come up with a new, like you won't even think about it as whiplash or changing direction. Yeah. You just go, this is what I want now. Yeah. And uh, honestly, the, the way I feel about most of these things is, oh, this is a natural evolution of a current thing. Mm -hmm. This is just the next step in a current thing. <laughs> okay. And to everybody else, it yeah. feels like a different direction rather than a next step. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Raising my hand. <laughs> That's exactly right. how it feels to me. Yeah. So, so like figuring out what the size of your steps are and talking about why mm -hmm. you, you want to do this thing and, and, honestly listening to people that's that was so hard for me to learn honestly listening and being willing to subsume my opinion it's a trust thing it's a trust thing trust is not easy for me um, i tend to micromanage and i'm not good at micromanaging so it's a bad thing all the way around but <laughs> trusting my people's opinions to be better than my own oh my gosh that's hard sometimes but it has to happen six heads are better than one. And I mean, if it's one against three, I bring three people into an idea and they all say, no, we don't have the bandwidth for that. Or no, that feels wrong for our business and et cetera. I need to listen to those people. I mean, I mean, if I brought them in because I trust their opinions, if I'm mm -hmm. running a, an idea by them, it's not because I'm trying to get it rubber stamped. Um, it's not because I'm just trying to get them on board. It's because I really value what they have for me and I need to act like it. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> not always easy, particularly for the yeah, idea. It's, it's founders, very easy right? to say something. It's but actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Wow. Cause I, I could feel some pushback from, from other leaders going, well, I'm the one in charge and I'm the visionary and they need to do what I say. And, that, that's it's not always good, extent, but it's, it's, um, if your people aren't able to buy into what you're doing in the business, why are they there? Mm. I mean, it's, why do you have that person on board if they can't get on board with what you're doing? Is that a personnel mismatch or is that a vision mismatch? I mean, I mean, if the people that you trust enough to have in your own business in really key roles, <laughs> can't get it. I mean, they're more on your side than anyone else in the world will right. ever be. You know, if yeah. they're the friendliest jury you can possibly imagine. And if you can't convince them of it, you're generally not going to convince the other people. I mean, they have to be on board. It's a company. It's not you running alone by yourself. And so mm -hmm. that, that was a big part as I learned to be less self-employed and more of a a true founder, I guess you could yeah. say. We're, we're a team now and I have to act like it. I am yeah. part of that team. Yeah, I've really learned to relax about that stuff over the last year and a half yeah. of working with yeah. you of just so. letting it go and yep. saying, okay, this is the end result that I want, how you got, and, and like I'm open to input on that. Yeah. Once we've decided and it's kind of frozen, like this is our goal, how we yeah. get there, I don't really care. As long as it doesn't involve <laughs> awful things, you know, as long as we don't have to boil babies to make <laughs> right, right. wizard has flying to, oil or something. <laughs> has to not bankrupt us, <laughs> right. has, to, has to get a good result. But yeah, letting people develop processes. Mm -hmm. um, and instead of me going through that, uh, that was a hard lesson. Um, mm -hmm. being, able to, being able to show folks the vision enough so that they buy in and then handing it off to them, whew, that was that was a big thing. Um, and I don't claim to be amazing at it right now, but that's something that I pay a lot of attention to now is, okay, if somebody's gonna buy into this, they have to be in charge of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to really truly let go of that. I have to truly delegate. And um, 
I think I've become a much better delegator over the past few months, uh, but it's, it's taken work. It's taken a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. And it's, it is not necessarily easy, <laughs> especially if you have been a solopreneur for a long time. Yeah. Listeners, please notice that so much of this stuff is about personal development. This yes. is about my personal journey through all the mistakes I was making in my head and suppressing my people because I didn't realize what I was doing wrong there. Um, a, a mentor of mine, Scott McFall, back from when I was a, a clinical hypnotist, he's an excellent hypnosis mentor, but he, he always said, uh, personal life is business life. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely 100% true. Anything dysfunctional in the, in the personal life that touches the business life, like a dysfunctional mindset, man, it's, it's going to have a magnified effect because now you're dealing with, for me, it's eight people, but you might be mm -hmm. dealing with two people or a hundred people or something like that. And it, it all gets magnified. You have to deal with that. I'm, I'm getting, I've got two coaches right now mm -hmm. for myself and they are absolutely invaluable. Um, it, it makes a tremendous difference because um, just knowing when I'm getting off track with my own head, uh, yeah. that's so important and I need to catch it fast because any mistakes I'm making are magnified eightfold right now right i have this peculiar point of view about uh my business like it's part of my body it's an extension of my body yeah. and so that that explains why the if there's a mutation over here or something it's yeah. going to show up over there because yep. it's all connected so yep. if i get if i get a large multi-acre physical plant that's uh -huh. part of my body as well Right. Do it. <laughs> it's, I, it's, I'm just starting to, to really focus on taking care of my health as well mm -hmm. for the same kind of reason. Yeah. Um, health affects attitude and attitude affects the business. E even simple stuff like the speed at which we can operate. Um, it's, it's a huge effect. I remember when I first got the brainwave that I should look up some information about how to increase operational tempo. Mm -hmm. And came up with uh, Evan Carmichael's stuff as a starting yeah. point, for example. That Evan Carmichael stuff is excellent. Six levels of delegation in that. It, yep. Good, good stuff. And yeah. putting that into uh, to action. Yeah. Well, let's cover one more topic and then we'll wrap up. And okay. that to me, I mean, I really, this has been great. And I, I've enjoyed being really relaxed about talking with you about all this Likewise. stuff. Yeah. Uh, sharing for founders what the some of the challenges are in scaling each of these conversations that i've had has been a little bit different and sure. here we've been focusing a lot on the mindset and what the founder can and should and shouldn't be doing mm -hmm. and how they should and shouldn't be thinking maybe right to be to be effective at least it, it, the truth as we see it right uh, and the way we're filtering internal communications i've written mm -hmm. about this and and i believe that internal communications, if not properly managed, can sink the business because you get, as soon as you get slack going, yep. um, somebody was on a, a SaaS podcast and being interviewed and they're doing well yeah. with their SaaS business and what's your favorite business tool? And they said slack. And I was, I, I, I didn't cringe, but I was like, nothing against slack. Again, it, it is a great tool. Oh, but yeah, I went, yeah. huh, yeah. really? That's yep. what you pick. It's not my pick um, because yep. once you get four people into a, a Slack channel and you're one of them, two of those people at least are going to start having a conversation that is completely irrelevant to you. Yep. And it's going to go on for an hour and they're going to yep. be real excited and it's going to be great for the company culture because they're sharing views and interacting yep. and whatnot. But if you watch all that as the founder, yeah. Oh, your time and energy are going to be just wasted. <laughs> it suck, it, it, that always on communication can suck down every bit of time a company has. Mm -hmm. And I, I say that with no qualifications, it absolutely can suck down every bit of time a company has. Um, learning to manage your communications and, and have effective communications in the first place is so absolutely vital. Um, I'm going through and collecting articles. I'll see if I can find it for you later. Uh, as I'm, I mentioned all my different task lists that I'm collecting. <clears throat> oh, let's cover end. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. After, after this, yeah. Okay. Let's dig into that. But they, um, 
I don't remember where it was, but there are two kinds of leaders hmm. that they had found. Maybe this was a podcast. The, the leaders who, um, they do one-on-one meetings, the CEOs who do one-on-one meetings and the CEOs who do big meetings, like, mm-hmm. and the ratios, mm-hmm. everybody meeting together. And they found that the CEOs who do big meetings and way less one-on-one are significantly more effective. It's way outside the statistical mm-hmm. margin of error. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. And they, they couldn't quite figure out, I think this was a podcast, so I doubt I'm going to find it as a matter of fact, yeah. but they, they found that, that while this was true, they couldn't quite figure out why. Was it, are the companies that can handle that kind of management style in a place where they're already healthier? Or can you bring a CEO that manages that way into any company and it will make the company healthier? Mm-hmm. So there, there's always a data collection issue with that kind of, with real life non-lab experiments. So they couldn't really quite get to the bottom of that, but it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. When you're the founder, you have the opportunity both to change that management style and to work to have the company be one where that management style works properly. So that's something I'm starting to explore and I have no idea what I'm doing with it yet, but I feel like I'm much more one of the one-on-one CEOs. Yeah. And big and like CEOs. What you so just that shared so there is, is what you just shared there is really surprising to me because I've been reading a lot good. about, Hey, you should have the one-on-one meetings, right? Yeah. Huh. So I, I don't know <laughs> yeah. what that means yet. Um, this is something that these people found, and I think it was in a, mm, it'll come to me later, but it, it was in, they were actually doing studies. Um, Lisa, I think there was a professor that was doing studies on these CEOs, and I believe it was an NPR podcast, hmm. uh, like CEO talk or something. No, 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 it was, it was, um. They had Jack Welch on this podcast. Okay, I know I can find the podcast now. Uh, I'll go. I'll go find that Very later. Cool. Interesting. Uh, but, though. but the chicken or the egg question there is right, interesting. Right. There, there's some yeah. study. There's some. There's some digging to do on that before I could really take action on that comfortably. Mm-hmm. But that's one thing. Um, but managing internal communication. So learning. Everybody in the SaaS world, for instance they tend to use a tool like Slack. There's a lot of remote positions and you have to be able to have, excuse me, email gets messy so fast that you kind of need some sort of chat-ish function. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of people tend to use Slack. We use one called Teamwork Chat now. Mm -hmm. We switched into Teamwork Chat from Slack because the, um, the structure uh, now Slack integrates with Asana in some really good ways that we might never have switched if it, if that had happened before we switched. Literally a couple months. <laughs> yeah, like two months problem. after we switched. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but we're very happy with teamwork and teamwork, teamwork projects and teamwork chat now for our internal communications. But yeah, I have to just ignore certain channels um, because when I need to go head down and write. That's a very difficult task for me to ask anybody in my company. Just when in does general. Jeremy become a bottleneck when he has writing to do? That's just, I build that up. It's such a big thing for me. And that's one place where I'm a bit dysfunctional still. I'm not good at business writing or getting business writing done, I should say. And so I have to shepherd my time very carefully when I'm in that type of workflow, more in that maker schedule rather than the manager schedule, I have to switch back and forth between those two. And I can't pay attention to every message coming in. There are, I don't know, six different ways people can get in touch with me. I don't, I don't really get phone calls. People don't do that to me very much, but um, I get texts, I get Facebook messages, the Facebook page gets messages of people wanting to hire on with us. Um, we've got the teamwork chat, we've got, um, the client liaison type stuff where a client will get in touch with me through one of these messages. Um, people email, I mean, there, there are a few different ways that I have to check in with occasionally, but if, 
if I stayed on top of those um, all the time, I wouldn't get a whole lot done. So sometimes I just have to go twice a day and that's fine. Um, some of that is systemizing things enough so that your people don't need you. If you've got good people and good processes, then they shouldn't need you on an emergency basis all the time. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't need them on an emergency basis all the time. Mm -hmm. it, I've found that's more important. Um, my people, I need to be more careful about, uh, about Interrupting. giving them space than yeah. they do about giving me space. I tend to have more of that. Right. Oh, I sure would like Lindsay put on this. Hmm. Maybe yeah, I need exactly. to like set that aside into a list of things to discuss with Lynn at a meeting. Yeah, have it in a chat not rather than ask about it in chat. Yeah. Stuff like that. And that may sound basic to people, but how companies are often run oh, it's a big deal. is interrupted. Interruptive. So, all, yeah, almost every business that I've talked with or business owner or, I don't know, team member that I've talked with that uses Slack they go, oh, yes, we love Slack, and it's horrible. Right. <laughs> and it's all about how you use it. Um, so you have to mute channels uh, so that you only get notified if someone calls your name in that, in that channel. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to manage these in your business and learn that ignoring stuff is okay. You have to create the okayness of ignoring things for a certain period of time. And then you have to abide by that process you've built emotionally, and then you'll be fine. But have, that's one thing about communication, not over meeting with people. Mm -hmm. I like face-to-face -face communication because I think out loud. I think collaboratively. Yeah. And it's a very different way of thinking for me when I get with someone. Like this kind of talk is very easy for me mm -hmm. because we're kind of thinking out loud and following rabbit trails and stuff but it takes a long time to do. Yeah. And so I've had to cut back on my meeting with people because it interrupts them. I've had to get um, a couple of my people, really one of my people, not to have long involved conversations with me in chat because I don't, it's very efficient as far as the time spent on each message mm -hmm. to, to get it done and it's already written down so you know exactly what to do. But if we're deciding something or, or discussing how something ought to happen, I can't afford to spend 45 minutes on a chat conversation going back to it 19 times. Right. That, that takes way more mental energy for me. So a lot of it's about being respectfully of each other's communication styles. Right. And, but, and yeah, and you have to hop on to a five-minute Skype chat or Zoom yeah. chat. When will a five-minute Skype chat or a Zoom chat or whatever be more efficient than mm -hmm. chatting this out and learning when, what the signs are of, oh, this is about to be an hour and a half long chat that's going to steal my focus from something else. Let's hop on for five minutes and hash it out and be done. Right. And having um, watched that uh, for yeah. founders who are, who are listening or watching now, the thing to look for is are you, are you getting into not arguments but kind of – really intensive time consuming discussions that are sort of didactic or granular about should yeah. it be the blue or the yellow pixel or something, you know, like, yeah. Or the, or the, even the, or the how do we, how do we organize our files? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was what I was going to bring up, um, yeah. which is not an easy decision to make by the way. Oh, uh, we, we used like Asana fun. for about six months, for example, as our big repository and then went, yeah. eh, we don't like the way that our workflow is going. We could have a podcast about this and wiped it out entirely and went back and redesigned the whole process. So you can get a tool, but yeah. have to learn how to use the tool. And yeah. I think that's something that founders miss. Spe speaking of tools, um, they affect your communication greatly. Oh, yeah. And this is a very Noam no Chomsky time. way of thinking like the, you speak in a certain language and you can't think certain thoughts mm -hmm. that like Chinese thinkers think very differently than English thinkers do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the culture is bound up in the language itself. These tools are some of the language that we use in the company. So, I mean, they affect the way that we communicate in a very fundamental and, and insidiously subtle way. And you have <laughs> That's to a great phrase. that or else the tool will control you rather than you controlling the tool. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I found with, um, I, I was having the problem getting very frustrated 
with, I would say, okay, this thing needs doing. And then it would go off into the ether and it would be on someone's task list. So we, we knew that much. It would be on someone's mm -hmm. task list. And then now what happens? Do I magically remember to follow up on that in six days? There's no way. There's no way I'm going to remember to follow up on that stuff. Right. Brain and is it, full now with other things. Right. I don't have the bandwidth to follow up on everything that I say to do. So one of the things that I've, um, I've put in place is anytime a task is created, it must be created with a due date. That is the feedback. That is the thing that closes that feedback loop. So it's complete. There's a way to get that thing reported on. And so then we can go up, go back and in our operation stand up meetings, um, we can go back and say, okay, we're behind on X, Y, and Z. We're ahead on A, B, and C, and we're right on track with these, but due dates, something mm -hmm. as simple as that, just not putting a due date on a task, that was a really big deal and it caused mm -hmm. us to have to over communicate and check in on things mm -hmm. and it caused things to fall through the cracks, even yeah. though we had it written down on a task list. Right. Um, there's just a lot of moving pieces. Our onboarding project oh, for yeah. new clients is six pages long mm -hmm. and that's not paragraphs of text. That is task, 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 task. Yeah. And so there's just so much to do becoming somebody's sales department that when you when you and I started with this kind of thing, we'd be like, okay, we've got the check to start. Let's yeah. start. And you and I would start, and that was it. Yeah. And it's just, we have learned so much building this business, and I'm so grateful for it. But those feedback loops right there, that's a big deal. Just learning to use your tools properly and how that tool modifies your workflows. and um, It's like you hear any accountant talk about accounting. Accounting is easy. Bookkeeping is easy. It's putting them into the tools properly and learning to get what you want out of that tool. That's really where most of the complications come in. Learning to use QuickBooks properly for your business. Mm -hmm. um, learning to use Xero, learning to use Wave Apps, learning to use all these, all these tools. They all work differently and it's a significant change. There, there's a significant cost to switching tools because of the way you use them. And you have yes. to respect that kind of that cost of learning to use the tool. Right. But it has it's not to just, hey, I heard the features over here are better for the price, I better exactly. switch over. Mm, does this feature cost. work well, and does it work well for our business? Um, mm. I have a lot of people ask frequently, um, what's the best CRM? And I oh, say, no, 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 no. I roll my eyes so hard <laughs> yeah. on that. Like, I, I put out a video on the five, or four or five questions you need to ask yourself to figure out the best CRM for you, but there really is no best CRM. It's all about what you need in your business and how it operates in your business. But it, it affects your communication really powerfully. It, I find that our communication changes significantly on a project if I enable the messages feature on a teamwork project. I do not typically enable the messages feature on that project anymore. We create a teamwork chat channel instead mm. of a messages fe feature. Yeah. So we use the files, we use the links, we use the tasks, we use the timelines, the milestones, the, all that stuff, but we don't use messages. We use chat instead. And we just have to, you, you have to know how stuff. you work. Yeah. 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 Huh. Where are people actually going to look? <laughs> As yeah, opposed to where does the system clicks, think they should look? Right, right. How many clicks does it take to get something? Mm. Is a big focus of mine with reports, with checking up on tasks, with catching up on this or that. I, I want to be able to see it with as few clicks as possible. It just, right. that just seems like a good user design thing to me or a good user yeah, interface. I used to use that as a sales point for CRMs and accounting software. Really? You know, minimizing the number of clicks and screens you had to go through to enter yeah. view data because it, when you're doing that with lots of people all the time, over and over yeah. every day, the costs of that and the savings and the efficiency yeah. that add up multiplying that out over time is, is tremendous. And, and the friction and compliance issues mm. with that. Mm -hmm. If there's too much fr friction, your compliance will go down with your existing processes. Right. And you'll find yourself not doing the process that you've decided is the best way, or I do. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll find your people are not following the process. They yeah. just make their own. It's like the, um, it's mm -hmm. like the 
the the du jour path and the desire paths. Mm-hmm. Like you build a sidewalk with corners on it, and then people cut across the yard and wear the mm-hmm. dirt path in the yard because <laughs> it's easier. And you see the wear. This yeah. this I mean I've been seeing this for twenty years with salespeople not wanting to use company CRMs. Oh yeah, and uh, and ending up with. Uh, their own Excel spreadsheets. That yep. is the thing that they will 99% Terrifying. of the time use. And then, and then the company executives are like, where's the data? You lose out on people's hard drives individually. Yep. So then they get frustrated. And I've seen this in political campaigns too. Yeah. Uh, where, where they want the, the party wants the data in their CRM and people yep. are reluctant to. And so there needs to be a little bit of uh, selling going on to sell the yeah. idea of use this, use this. Yeah. Okay. Before we wrap up, mm-hmm. we were talking before we got on the, the podcast and you mentioned that you had information or to-do lists or, Hey, I should check up on that stuff. Mm-hmm. locked in like spread out all over creation tell us about that and what founders can do who are maybe feeling kind of scattered about all the things they're using and where their oh. follow-up lists are in that yeah it's time for me to do another big collection and get back to getting things done by david allen mm-hmm. um there are two books that have changed my life in significant way well there are a lot but these two for task management and doing work Along with that Paul Graham article, The Maker Schedule, Manager Schedule, uh, Cal Newport's book, Deep Work, has Mm -hmm. been an absolute life changer. When I read that book, I realized, and I often say that the the overlap, the Venn diagram for ADHD and entrepreneurialism is very nearly a circle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. so much overlap there. The entrepreneurial spirit often is very ADHD if you put it in a different context. And so learning to manage yourself is so important. And I've got, I realized recently that I was jotting things down in about, oh, this is embarrassing, but literally 12 different places. And I, I was unable to trust my own brain. I was unable mm-hmm. to trust this task list because it might be in 11 different places. And that was, I mean, it was shocking to me because I've got, I use Evernote very, mm-hmm. I use it a lot. Um, I had some safe tabs in, um, like bookmarked tabs yeah. in my Chrome browser, in my Firefox browser, in my tablet browser. Um, I had screenshots on my like ideas I wanted to play with or implement on my, um, on my tablet from the browser. I had the Asana list for my personal stuff. Um, I've got the teamwork projects. Then our PR firm has a, they've got their own project management software called pro workflow. Hmm. Um, and it, it's just crazy. The, the list proliferation that I had, and I, I can't hold myself up as a, a paragon of this by, by any means. I mean, I, I'm someone who's bad at this stuff, but if you're someone that struggles with it the way that I do, then this might help. Um, the the deep work being able to go head down for long periods at a time mm-hmm. when i find that i can't go head down for some reason there's something wrong when i can't spend 3 hours mm-hmm. on something there's something wrong and it's because i'm not trusting my processes and or my people um having more than one task list is one of those it's one of the easiest ways to stop trusting yourself to stop trusting your memory etc right so that getting all that anxiety is, inducing to me. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, and so, and it takes up bandwidth trying mm-hmm. to remember where you put something. That's a huge bandwidth stealer for me. And so I, I have to manage it very carefully. So it's time for me to do a giant spring cleaning, so to speak, <laughs> and um, get back to the getting things done method, collect everything. And I'm doing this right now. Um, collect everything into one task list and then you can go through and you can do what's called what the getting things done people call cranking widgets Mm. do it defer it delete it or it might be just those three it seems like there's one other thing you can do do it delete it defer it delegate it delegate it that's what the other thing is um so you just crank through huge task lists by batching them 
but if you've got it all in one place, then you know you can batch properly. Right. So I highly or triage recommend triage it at least. Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah. That triage is kind of the delegation. Um, that's delete. that's what we've called it in our company is triage. Do mm -hmm. it, delete it, defer it, delegate it. That's right. kind of what's going on there. And so um, just being able to trust your task list is a huge deal, and getting things done and deep work that combo um, of mm -hmm. thinking there is a very effective combo. And whenever I start to get anxious or overwhelmed or confused, that is now the first place that I look um, is, do I have one task list? It's such a stupidly mechanical thing, but so many of these things are, we get, when we feel overwhelmed, we start thinking there's this mystical thing, or we start feeling like imposter syndrome, or we're not good enough or something. Usually it's stuff that's this mechanical and this tactical. It's just, oh, you have too many task lists. How, how stupid is that? How simple is that? But it really does get back to the fundamentals almost every time. Some of the fundamentals are, most of them are not mystical. Oh, I either have the je ne sais quoi, the it factor, the X factor, or I don't. It's just, oh, I'm not doing this mechanical process. And it becomes very simple once you realize that and go, oh, well, let's fix that thing and I will feel better. It makes a right. big difference. Yeah, you and I are very hard on ourselves. We sort of self-flagellate sure. <laughs> yeah. a lot. And, uh, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to share the challenges and struggles and tribulations mm -hmm. of scaling businesses so yeah. that founders, especially newer founders, can recognize what's going yeah. on. And, and so I love the stories that you've been able to share what we've been able to dig into. Thank you. How can people find out more about the closing engine? Um, there are a couple of ways. One is the, well, I'll just direct them to the closingengine.com. Sure. That's the easy way. We've got a couple of different things in the works right now. Um, we've got the done for you sales program. That, that's our guaranteed clients program. And we work with, I guess you could say digital service providers. Um, high dollar digital service providers and some trainers and coaches are kind of moving out of that world, but um, it, we love the done for you clients. So if you do something for other people and you need a sales force to handle that for you all the way to lead generation, um, then we can handle that kind of stuff. The closing engine.com. Right. And this is not for those businesses, uh, owners out there listening. This is not just, we hired a commissioned salesperson, sat them in a corner like a cactus, threw leads at them once in a while. And hopefully they did. Yeah, that doesn't work. What you are doing is at a level far beyond that with systems, oversight, coaching, mm -hmm. because salespeople can get off track, good hiring practices, all these things that we've learned through getting kicked in the nuts over time <laughs> to do better. Uh, and the, the, so the level that you're handling the problem at is far higher than just, Hey, I went on into a Facebook group and found a hired gun. We believe so. Um, do you I mind so. if I mention our licensing agreement? No, briefly? go ahead. Um, a part of the buyout for Jason, mm. when, when uh, Jason said, I want to go do consulting, I want to do, mm. go do the cold star thing. And I bought him out of the business. Part of that agreement was the licensing of our processes. Mm -hmm. It was such a shock to us to figure out, Oh, this isn't just hiring salespeople. This is creating a sales department. So it's, the figuring out the lead generation, we have lead generation partners that we cover the cost of in this because that's so mm -hmm. vital to have everybody on the same page um, to the, I mean, we've got a, a amazing copywriter on staff here to write copy for our clients in simple funnels because it's so vital to setting up the sales team for success. Um, when we're talking about 40, 50, 60% close rates, we are not talking about cold calling. We are talking about a marketing funnel that is on point right. and salespeople that are on point with their product knowledge and, and their training and everything. But we bring the tech, the copy, the, um, the backend team, the back office team, the sales manager, the call recording software, the scheduling mm -hmm. software. I mean, we plug everything in properly and just make sure that people are ready to go mostly for business to business stuff. That's really our sweet spot for, for most of these, 
but um, we do some personal development stuff too as well in the training area and that's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, these, these processes are so different than we've grown so much with those. <laughs> and I know because I've been on these uh, prospect prospective customer, I guess, or prospective yeah. client sales calls where we're, we've been talking over the last year and a half, we've been talking to people who are interested in hiring us and over and over and over again, I've heard them say with my own ears, wow, you guys are way more professional. Wow. You guys are way different oh, yeah, that's right. than, than everyone else that I've talked to. Yeah. So, and, and it was, I remember they specifically said it was because of the questions we ask. Mm -hmm. They knew right. that this was the things that we're asking. Um, it showed the expertise and it's just, well, mm -hmm. that stuff only comes through experience, but right. ask better questions and you'll get better clients. <laughs> All right. Our guest today on the cold star project has been Jeremy Pope, founder of the closing engine, the done for you third party sales department. You should go talk to him. And if you want him as a guest on your podcast, uh, little birdie told me he is available. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All yep. right. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Thank you.